Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Kids channel. We'll take you behind the scenes and preview new movies and DVD releases. Now, here are your hosts for Kids First Coming Attractions. Hello and welcome to the program, Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley. We have a show for you today. We're going to be talking about the film Storks and also press junket coverage. We're also going to be talking about a blog that I did of the difference between audiences and critics and how they see movies. We're also going to be seeing, talking about the films Humpback Whales and the new film Sully. Right now I'm, with, I'm here with Benjamin, who is 11 years old from Washington, D.C., talking about the press junket at Storks, the premiere for Storks. Benjamin, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, you went to go see the ju- the junket for Storks, which is the new animated film coming up. So, tell us about what happened there. Well, they had the cast in rooms, and I got to interview them. I also got to see the film. So, uh, what cast members did you get to meet, and what kind of questions? I got to meet Andy Samberg, and I asked him a couple of questions with the person he was paired with, Katie Crown who plays another character in this film. I asked them if they worked together in booths, and if they said yes, and so I asked them if they improvised, and if working together helped their relationship further their characters during the film. And what kind of answers did you get? Well, they said kind of, and they did improvise so- sometimes. I always love animation films when you're able to actually put the, char- put the actors in the room together, because that can, you never know what could happen there. So, uh, what other kind of, who, who else did you get to meet, and questions did you ask? I got to meet the director and the co- the directors, and I asked them on, I heard they had a personal connection to the story, so I asked it what it was, and Nicholas Stoller said it was about the meeting of family, and um, sort of his experience with his second child, Aww. That's really sweet. It's always to be connected with a film that way. And uh, I, I'm just um, I'm wondering, is this I'm wondering? Uh, have you done a junket before? Have you done interviewing junkets before? No, this was my first junket. It was pretty exciting. Fantastic! I thought this was your first one. So, uh, what kind of? So, you really enjoyed your first time doing, going to a press junket? Yes, very much. Fantastic! Always your first time, but. I'm really happy you got to go see this. You got to see this film for your first time. That's really great. And it sounds like you got to meet some incredible people. Yep. Now I understand you got to see the film too. So let's talk about that. Uh, tell us a bit about what the film is, what the film is about, and also your impressions on it. So it follows a young stork named Junior, voiced by Andy Samberg, who is focused on climbing the corporate ladder. But instead of storks delivering babies, they now deliver packages for CornerStore.com. When a young child sends a note to the factory, one of Junior's friends, Tulip, played by Katie, voiced by Katie Crown, accidentally awakens the baby machine and turns it back on, and, th- and thus the adventure begins of delivering the baby to its family. Now, see, when I saw the trailer for this, I thought this was such a clever idea, giving the concept of like. Babies being delivered by stores. I've always thought that was really a cute idea, and um, it was there's just so many different possibilities you can for a story on, and jokes. And so let's talk about that. Uh, what did you think about the film entirely? I really liked the animation in this film. I just thought it was very colorful and just a bunch of vibrant colors. And it sort of the character design was very good. Like I really liked the look of the storks. And I also liked the look of the wolves, because the characters in the film, the wolves, they turn into different things. So I <laughs> thought it was interesting how they animated that. The wolves get, t- they turn, are they shapeshifters? They turn into different, like, animals? They, like, their pack ter- forms into an object. It's, oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So, um, speaking of 
funny. This film, as I mentioned before, I feel like there's going to be some pretty funny jokes you can put in here, especially with the concept and the idea. So um, how are the jokes in this film? It's pretty funny. My favorite moment, and you may have seen it in the commercial, because they have it quite a lot in there, but um, it's when birds can't see glass, so they sort of play on that when um, Junior has to run through a glass factory to get the baby somewhere. And just describing that, comedy can ensue. That sounds hilarious. Well, you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keeper Blanksley. Today we're going to be talking about the films Sully, Jungle Book, and Storks. We're going to continue our conversation with Benjamin, and this show is sponsored by Gumby's, the 60s edition. Now, you mentioned that the jokes in here are hilarious, so what did you think about the story in, t- um, in general? I thought it was a very cute story. It was very meaningful, and it sort of explores these things about family, and just, it was, like... I made it better. I liked the story a little bit more, and I found that the director actually had a personal connection to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really liked the story. It's very um, heartwarming. And you feel like that's the message of the film? Family? Yeah, family. Anything, um, can you dive a little bit deeper of, like, what it, what it means with family? Um, it just means, like, that everybody needs their family, because one of the characters in the film is an orphan. She never found her parents. And um, it's sort of another thing in the story is while they're delivering the baby, they try to find her family as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And what would you think? Um, you mentioned that the animation was incredibly vibrant. And what would you say about the the pacing of it? Because especially with since. It sounds the comedy in here looks like some slapstick. Like, how was the pacing and the the how fast did the animation go? The pacing, there was a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. at uh, one given time, and I guess my only problem with this film is sometimes I would have to recap in my brain everything that I had seen in one scene and another, which kind of worked into you know me kind of getting distracted. By what during watching the film, so 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 much too much was going on. You're saying with like the with the animation, too much was going on in the background, or elaborate on that. There was a lot of comedy and characters, and the characters wrap up well in the end. It's there. It takes a while from the beginning to the end, and there's lots of stuff that ensues. So a lot of filler. That's just kind of distracting. If I'm getting out, yes. right. I see. Well, sometimes it feels like that when a director wants to pull in a scene, it, they think like, it's a beautiful scene, we're going to keep it in there, but sometimes it can just be a little bit too much. And, well, at least a lot of uh, hilarious scenes that go along with it, and it sounds like the story is cute. So what would you say is your favorite scene in the film? The wolves, when they turn into a minivan... Because there's this, the, in the last factory scene, they're trying to get the baby from the storks and um, the orphan because they think it tastes like flowers. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on in this film. And um, when they turn into a minivan, it's just the really funny gag that I thought was nice that they added in there. Well, I've always thought wolves being organized and being a strong pack, but I didn't know they can be Transformers at the same time. That's pretty fine. They also turn into a submarine. There's nothing these wolves can't do. That's what I call determination and beautiful synchronizing. <laughs> now, uh, what would you say is your favorite character in the film? The wolves. Um, they're voiced by Key and Peele, so I really liked the... the I thought they, yes. had, they did a good... Yeah. They did a great job voicing their characters, and um, they play Alpha and... Beta Wolf, I believe the other character's the name, and um, they both are debating whether who's the alpha, and they find out that somehow fighting makes the baby laugh. So, you Key and Peele's in this. I didn't. I for, totally forgot. Ah, oh, I love them so much. Key and Peele are just hilarious. Uh, speaking of the the voice actors, we have a lot. We have a star-studded cast in here. We got Ty Burrell, Andy Sandberg. And Key and Beale, as you mentioned. So, um, talk about the voice acting in this film. What you thought? 
Uh, yeah. Another ex- uh, person I liked who voiced the character in this film was Kelsey Grammer. I just mm-hmm. thought he did a great job voicing the villain, and um, he's, uh, I got to talk to him, and he said playing the villain is always something he likes to do. So, because he said there's no boundaries, and I thought he had the, just the right amount of in his voice to really play his character. Well, Kelsey Grammer's done a lot of television work, and he, he usually plays this kind of kind of the bad guy because he's he's a pretty like intimidating kind of character. He really is, but and he's got a very interesting voice, very interesting voice. So, what would you say the age range for this film is, and how many stars would you give it? Um, I'd say five to thirteen. I don't really see how you can not enjoy this film, especially younger kids. It's um, first of all, it has like talking animals. And it's, like I said, it's very colorful. And I mean, it's about babies, so come on. Yeah. You can never go wrong with that much cuteness. You just can't. And, uh, well, thank you very much, Benjamin, for talking about storks. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you for having me once again. Of course. Well, let's take a break. I'm your host, Kiva Blakesley, and this show is sponsored by Gumby's, the 60s series, volume 2. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. tuned in to kids first coming attractions on the voice america kids channel turn off your phone another movie review is coming up hey welcome back i'm jerry orms and you're listening to kids first coming attractions we are just talking about the wonderful film storks and also the storks press junket and now we're going to be speaking to keeper about his latest blog where he talked about his favorite movies that the critics of hollywood in the world may not have particularly left so keeper can you tell us about your blog well, my blog is pretty much, I feel like a lot of people can connect to this, where they go out and see a film, and they really enjoy it, but then the critics are just, they, a majority of the critics, I'm saying, I'm not saying all critics, but a majority just did not connect with the film. And I kind of wanted to create, like, a list of the kind of films that I personally enjoy, but the critics did not. And I know I'm a kid's first, I'm, I'm a, I myself am a film critic, but I'm just going as a regular moviegoer. Now, what do you think is the cause that critics in general hate films that specific people really do enjoy? Do you think it's the hype? Do you think it's just a specific genre that people need to like? What do you think causes it? I think the thing is, uh, uh, there's a lot of things that go along with it. One, critics critics see a lot more films than the average moviegoer. The average moviegoer can probably go see a film, I mean, 
once or twice a month. I don't know. But it's film critics, on the other hand, watch a ton of films because it's their job to watch movies. Sometimes they don't have even pick a film. So the thing is that I feel like because of that, critics point out a lot of the different flaws and the cliches than other films. So they're a bit more, I, I would say, pickier because they see a lot more films and they, they notice more flaws. So I think that's one of the main reasons of them not particularly liking the film. And do you think that there's ever a film where just everybody doesn't like it? Or do you think every film, there's going to be certain, certain audiences that really love it, even if 99% of the audiences hate it? Can you, can you rephrase that question, please? Do you think that there's films where just everybody hates it and there's no outliers? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that, because a film like art is subjective. And there are, there are people that are going to love it, people are going to hate it. But like, there are some films that a majority just dislike, both critics and audience members. Like, for one that comes to mind, the Avatar, The Last Airbender, the one that's uh, the M. Night Shyamalan film. That one was not particularly favorable for both critics and audience members because of its ad- ad- adaptation. But um, yeah, it's but the film is subjective. It's going to appeal to different people. I definitely agree. Now, since this is about all the films that you liked, can you tell us a few of them? Well, recently it's been Suicide Squad because the film's not perfect by all means. It's been getting a lot of mixed reviews by a lot of the audience members, but the thing is, the critics review it as if it's like the worst thing ever. It's terrible. Some people even say it's worse than the new Fantastic Four film. And when I saw the reviews, I'm like, really? It can't be that bad. I go check it out. And it's really not as bad as people think it is. I feel like people should give the film Suicide Squad more of a chance because there are some redeeming qualities in the film. I'm not saying it's perfect at all, but did it deserve the harsh criticism that it wanted? Sure. Did it deserve it? No, it did not. Sorry, not sure. But one in particular that I, I really love, and it's my childhood my childhood film, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. I love the film. I adore the film. I could even memorize the I, I use At the time, I used to memorize that film. I love it. And audiences loved it too. They loved Jim Carrey. It's what made Jim Carrey one of the biggest comedic stars. But even my favorite film critic, Roger Ebert, did not like Ace Ventura, did not like Jim Carrey, period. So it's those type of, it's that, those two films in particular that I really enjoy, but critics didn't like. Now You See Me is another one. I really enjoyed that film, and it just was not, critics did not like that. I just feel like, why? So those are a couple of films that come to my, head, come to my mind. You know, in my opinion, I think another problem with films in general is that they are usually for a certain audience. Like, they're not for adults and kids, usually. They're just usually for either. And a lot of films are reviewed by mostly adults, and there's some films that are very, very meant for kids. So do you think of any films that were kind of ruined by the age difference? Because it was definitely meant for kids, but when adults ruined it, they absolutely hated it. They found it boring. Do you think of any examples like that? I really think the job of a critic is to not just go by age range. They really, I feel like a lot of, some critics do, some critics don't. And now I, there was, there are some examples of that, uh, but I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the critics are just go like, it's just meant to be a cute film. Stuff like, uh, I'm really blanking out on some animation films, but there's just some animation films where it's just like, it's for the kids, it's cute, it's nothing special, but it's cute. And there's, some critics just have to just put that in their mindset when they go see a film like that. So, I don't think there's too much of an age difference. I feel like film critics really do try their best to not be like, oh, this is a kiddie film. No, they actually... But they also review it enough so that they don't say, like, it's demeaning to our kids. I definitely agree. Now, what do you think, since we're on the opinion of favorite films and critics hating them, what do you think was your least favorite film that audiences absolutely loved? Least favorite film that audience loved? Oh, yeah. shoot, that's hard. There's a film that I... Now... I wouldn't say I hated, but I just didn't connect with some people. Bridge of Spies. Everyone loved Bridge of Spies. Everyone's saying, like, Academy Award winning. It's going to be great. It's going to take all the awards. And I'm just looking at, like, it's a good film, and I want to love it. And I, there's so many good aspects of it. It's just it's almost a perfect film. And it is, pretty much. But it's just, like, it didn't capture me. It wasn't Steven Spielberg's best, in my opinion. It wasn't. Everyone says, like, this is Spielberg's best. Uh, but it's... it. It was just your typical Spielberg and Tom Hanks 
uh, collaboration, and it just was like, that's not saying it's bad, it's just, I enjoyed it, but everyone was just like praising the film, so that was an example of a film that's just like, really? You guys think this is Spielberg's best film? So, yeah. You know, I personally loved it, but yeah, I can I can see that there are different people who may not like it or may love different films. Realizing kids just come churches on the waste America kids ever. And today we talked about so far the films, the storks, and also the fence they're fresh chunking. And right now we're gonna continue trying to keep her about his movie blog where he kinda stayed the films that he really loved and the critics didn't really like it. So and he was just talking about how Bridges Spice is a good example to him personally that the audiences hated it, it's kind of vice versa, the audiences really didn't, I mean, audiences loved it, and he didn't like it very much. So, Kiefer, out of all the films that you've ever seen, what do you think was the hardest to review? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, ooh, I don't know if I can say it on here, because I don't, I don't like demeaning those kind of films. Uh, the hardest to review? Kids First does a good job of giving me films that are really good. And the thing is with Kids First is that we don't say when a film is, ter was, is terrible. I don't think the word is we sugarcoat it. I think the word is what we do is that we look at it from a different perspective of what other people could enjoy. There were some films that the reviewer may not like, but our job as a reviewer, as a, I think my job as a job as a film critic, is to guide moviegoers. We're not supposed to say like, hey, I hate the film. Mean that means that you should hate it too. I don't like critics like that. I like critics that be, are able to say like, I didn't personally enjoy the film, but here's what I think. I here's what other people may enjoy it. Like there's there's some kids films like I didn't like it, but the kids can enjoy it. Roger Ebert, my who's my hero with film criticism. Um, when he didn't like a film, he didn't like a film. But there's a reason why he didn't like a film, and there's a point and a very valid reason why he didn't like a film or loved a film. So it's not about the hardest to review. It's just sometimes there's just films that don't appeal to you but appeal to others. That is very true. And despite what audiences said or not, out of all the films, what do you think is your favorite? Out of my favorite film of all time, you're saying? Yeah. The hardest question ever for our critics. You, you, you know you can't ask me that, Jerry. You know you can't ask any like moviegoer such as I to ask favorite films of our time. But to kind of stay on the subject of like what critic, um, the different, the different, the critics versus audiences and what they enjoy. I do want to bring this up: is that filmmakers make movies for the moviegoers, in my opinion. Of course, there are the movie, there are filmmakers who say like oh, we want to appeal to the critics. But the thing is, critics aren't people too. They have their different backgrounds. They have their different. They, they connect with different stories and characters, and they relate to characters differently. We're human people. I know sometimes it seems like we're well, heartless pedestals, and some critics put themselves on pedestals, saying like I am the one only opinion you should follow. But film critics are just moviegoers, but we have an outlet to put a voice at. But the thing is, that's what's interesting about the internet nowadays, is that anybody can be a film critic. You've seen YouTube comments, but you know what I mean. Like, anybody can just take a film themselves and talk about a film they really like. That's what's great about um, the internet, and, well, it's pros and cons of the internet, is everybody can have an opinion. But the point is, you have to have a valid opinion, Mike. Uh, you have to have a valid opinion. So, if you like a film, good for you. And if you don't like a film anyone else does, that's just, let somebody else enjoy the film. Film is such a strong medium that you're going to have, you're going to enjoy different films. So I don't feel like critics and audiences should be awarded each other, but sometimes we agree to disagree on films. Uh, you know, and I think what a lot of people think is that because a film will take so long to make, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of skill and takes a lot of people to make, which is true. And that is why people should still check out films, even if they see everybody saying negative reviews, just to see what they think. And there are still films that don't do good and do good, and don't do bad or do good. And there are people who like bad films that we think is bad, or like good films that we think are that we think are absolutely fantastic, and they think it's horrible. So I do think it differs between people. Thanks so much for talking to me about your blog. I thought it was excellent. And uh, let's take a break. I'm Jerry Orris, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions, and this show is sponsored by Gumby, the 60 Series Volume 2.
sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Have you heard your 15 minutes of fame? How about four times that every single week? It's the fame game. Listen as Maddie Rose, who is up and coming in the world of fame, brings you fame from all walks of life. You'll hear from doctors, teachers, mentors, life heroes, as well as those in the fields of acting, movies, music, and more. Who knows? You might be the next one Maddie Rose talks to on the air. Listen for the fame game every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. Join us every week for the Paper Hope Street Team. None of our topics are off the table. This is a program that you can listen to and discuss with your family. From the pages of the Paper Hope blog to the Internet radio airwaves, we'll talk about the topics you want to talk about, such as friendship and relationships, or some more controversial issues about sex, drugs, and underage drinking. Join the Paper Hope Street Team live every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Kids channel. Let's talk soon. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jerry Orris, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We were just talking about the film Sports the Storks press junket. We're also talking about Kiefer's latest plug. And now we're going to talk to Benjamin again about the new film, Humpback Whales. So, Ben, what did you think about this film? I thought it was beautiful to look at. Um, it's a documentary, so it's not really a story to talk about. Um, it has an interesting message, and I thought the narration was very good. Now, although we know it's about humpback whales, what does it specify about humpback whales in general? Does it specify on how they work, how they swim around? Does it specify in the world problems related to them? What does it talk about? It definitely talks about the world problems, and it over throughout the film, it sort of gives you a little bit of facts about the humpback whales, at least in the introduction. They don't. They definitely talk about like how they've returned, made a comeback in the past fifty years from the just them whaling not being as strong and sort of them their population growing again and i so i personally think what is going on with humpback whales is absolutely terrible and this doc and this is a documentary talking about that so does it keep your attention while still teaching you about humpback whales and the problems that are in the world today not for young kids um like, with all these nature movies, I just don't think they'll find it very entertaining. Not to say the movies aren't good, but they're really not meant for really young audiences. So, it is, with all these movies, they're kind of a more interesting way of learning. Yeah. And since this is a documentary trying to teach you something, what did you learn? It could have been your favorite thing or the thing that disgusted you the most that really is upsetting and sad to see. So, out of all the facts, what do you think would be yours? The saddest fact I learned is the fact that there were, like, less than 500 humpback whales in the 1970s or 80s for a period between this 50 years. most interesting fact I learned is that a humpback whale is longer than a school bus. 
It is pretty scary to think that a living creature could be longer than a school bus. It is very interesting to hear about that. And now that, now that you saw this film, do you think you have a new perspective on humpback whales? Yeah, and I felt the same way with another film like this, Flight of the Butterflies. And the films do it this way. They give you more information and insight on a specific cause. And I really give credit for the p- people who came up with the idea to make a movie about humpback whales because it ultimately enlightens me and if someone else would watch this movie about humpback whales. Since we, since you mentioned uh, Flight of Butterflies, one of the main core things of Flight of Butterflies that is absolutely spectacular is the cinematography. And cinematography is in ge- very important general for documentaries because it needs to kind of express where they live. It needs to express how they look and how they act. So how is the cinematography in this film? And I thought the cinematography of Flight of the Butterflies is amazing. The way they shoot this underwater is really cool. And they really get you up close with the humpback whales to give you a more like, you-are-actually-there type thing. And what do you think about the soundtrack in this film? Um, there were some original songs. I kind of liked them. They were... It was an interesting choice for a soundtrack. And what do you think is your favorite scene? Um, there's this... In, in a couple of these movies, there's always this scene in the film where there's, like, it's pretty much the scene for kids... And in this one, I felt it was when you get to see all the stuff that the younger whales do with their mom and how they keep trying to, like, copy them. And I thought it was just surprisingly funny. And what can people do to help humpback whales if they want to help the animals? Well, they talk about that in the film um, a little bit about what you can do and what people have done. For instance, a place called Tonga tried to limit their whaling to sort of grow the population again. The film is sort of set, the lesson of this, or the message you're supposed to get, is that there's still stuff you can do for humpback whales. It's not over yet, but there's de- they've definitely made some progress. It is very sad to see the position that uh, humpback whales are in right now. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. And today we talked about the films, The Storks Crash Drunken. We also talked about Keeper's Movie Blog. Right now we're going to continue talking about the film Humpback Whales with Benjamin. He was kind of talking about how it showed in the film that things are improving and it was pretty bad. Now some countries are doing things to make it better. So what did you think about the narrator? The narrator was, uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced this, Ewan, Ewan McGregor? How did he do? I think do? it's Ewan McGregor. Maybe. Ewan McGregor. How did he um, do? Yeah, um, with all these movies, they choose someone with a specific voice that'll keep someone entertained, even who's not interested in humpback whales or something. So that um, I thought his voice kind of helped with her interest in the movie and sort of keeps you in paying attention to the stuff they're talking about. Um, he's no Morgan Freeman, but he did a good job. Well, nobody can be Morgan Freeman for sure. Exactly. What a, and the core thing of any film is, of course, the directing. So the director was Greg McGilvery. How did he do? Uh, yeah, they've done... I watched on the special features. I saw that they had done... And on IMBD, they've done quite a lot of films like this. And they specify in making films about topics like this. And seeing the making of this film gives you a new fond respect for all the stuff they have to do. So I don't really have any comments on the directing other than the fact that it looked like it was a horror movie to make. And although I was slightly surprised by this, it looks like the film actually does have a lot of special effects built into it. Can you kind of talk about that and uh, the quality of the special effects themselves? Actually, I didn't know there were special effects in the movie. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't know either. And then I read the cast list and there's a lot of people wearing visual effects and animation. So I figured, wow, that's kind of surprising. And well, it's good. the special effects must have been very good if it didn't look like to me or you that it was... If, yeah, if it looked very realistic, then they did a fantastic job. I definitely agree. Now, what age range would you give this film and why? 12 to 18. I mean, it can be enjoyed by pretty much anyone, but it's more about paying attention to the subject. So there's nothing that parents should be worried about. You just think that younger kids may not enjoy it as much because they may lose interest. Yes. And how many stars would you give this film? 
Island 4. I really liked it. Not as much as Fight of the Butterflies because that film surprised me so much. But I really did like this movie. And since this is the topic about how... Since these films are kind of talking about animals and this film specifically is talking about a problem in the world. If you could solve just one world problem, what would it be? Uh, honestly, not humpback whales. But I don't really know, actually. That's a really hard question. Personally, I just tried to solve world peace because if we have world peace, hopefully we wouldn't try to kill beautiful creatures as much. That's, that's just my personal opinion. Well, who doesn't want world peace at this point? <laughs> right? And what do you, was there like any other characters in this film that talked about the humpback whales, or was it literally just the humpback whales the whole time? Um, there were people talking about, like, for some of the different places they talked about and different people they asked. Like, they had a researcher, someone who lived in Tonga where the whaling had gone down, and people like that. That's interesting, and did you learn any interesting facts from that? Yeah, they all had their own story to tell, which I liked, because it's not focused on Ewan McGregor. It's actually focused on, like, real people that do things with the um, the humpback whales. Did you learn anything kind of interesting about how the humpback whales function and how they just live day to day, anything like that? I didn't know that their younger, young humpback whales would copy their mother, and I didn't realize... They left after, like, almost a year in the movie, I believe. I didn't know that either. That is that is very fast to leave kind of the den and kind of grow up. That's very interesting. Well, thanks for, for talking to me about this wonderful film. If you'd like to check it out, it is now on DVD. Let's take a break. I'm Jerry Orris, and we're listening to Kiss First Time Attractions, and this show is sponsored by Gumby, the 60 Series, Volume 2. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Tune in to Dinosaur Detectives with Little Miss Dinosaur, Anna Dubois. We'll not only learn about dinosaurs, but also about fossils, ancient civilizations, and ask questions from paleontologists. You'll learn about science in general with an emphasis on paleontology and dinosaurs in general. Anna hopes that this show will start or increase your awareness and interest in the field of science. Dinosaur Detectives can be heard every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids channel. There's so much going on in the tech field. The tech team is here to sort it all out so that you know exactly what you need to get and what you should avoid. In this age of cell phones and text messaging and new discoveries every single day, you need to be informed. We'll bring you previews of new products, technology news, and help you make the right decision when you are out there buying that new MP3 player, cell phone, or mobile device. Don't do a thing until you've tuned in to the tech team. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Kids. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You are tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hello and welcome back to the program, Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley. We just got done talking about humpback whales and also talking about my blog about films that I like but the critics didn't particularly agree with. 
We also talked about Storks and also Benjamin's press junket experience. Right now I'm here with Naeem, and he's going to be talking about Sully, the Clint Eastwood, Tom Hanks film. And when you say those two actors together, you know you're going to get a good film. Naeem, thank you for being on the show, and tell us about the film. Thank you, Kiefer. <laughs> the film, after I watched the film, I, I told my parents that I wanted to be a pilot. I thought it was so amazing. How, Sel how uh, Sully was able to save 255 people on a plane in the in the ocean. Now, I'm sorry. I, I understand this film is I can can be inspirational, and I and if you want to become a pilot from uh, after this and seeing Sully's valiant acts, I would say yeah, that's cool. But saying I just saw Sully and I want to be a pilot is like saying. I just saw Titanic, and I want to be a captain of a ship. <laughs> but jaw jokes aside, this is based off an actual event that happened in 2009, I believe. And I remember when it happened, I was at home, and we were watching it on the news, and we couldn't believe it. We thought, but it was, I remember my school just kept talking about it. Like, Did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened at, a, at Hudson River? I mean, Hudson, maybe, at least so. Anyway, it was, so, this film... Obviously, has some great cast members, such as um, Aaron Eckhart, Tom Hanks, and Clint Eastwood as a director. So let's talk about the actors in this film. Tom Hanks, I thought he did a great job. He, they really made him look like Sully, at the actual Sully. And also, um, who was the other actor? My bad, I forgot. It's Sully by Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, I thought he did a great job also. Being right next to Sully uh, by his back all the time, I think he did a great job acting. You're telling me Tom Hanks did a great job acting? I I can't believe it. I I, I really can't. It's just that. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, to all seriousness, Tom Hanks. Wh what do you do when you when you put him in a, a role? It just seems like he he takes it over. No matter no matter the writing or even the direction style, he just somehow creates becomes the character. And especially one of the most famous American actors is playing what now is considered a modern American icon and hero directed by another American icon. So let's talk about the story. Now this story does tackle the actual event, but also it tackles what happens after, I'm sorry, after the event in Hudson River. So uh, tell us a bit about how it that, that opened your eyes about that event. Well, I thought it was crazy that he just saved 255 people and people were looking at why he didn't go back to the airport and almost, and cra he would have crashed and nobody believed him until they did the test results at the end. Uh, by the way, that's 155. I'm just going to correct you there just in case. Um, oh, my bad. No, it's totally fine. Fact checkers over here. I find it interesting that uh, Clint Eastwood said, he, he heard about the story, and then he heard what happened. He says that that's when the movie should start, because that's drama. That's You, you could have easily made an entire film about the landing at the Hudson River. You could have made the whole film about that, but they decided to do something totally different and go with the investigation of it, which it sounds absurd, but how does the film portray Is it? How does the film take that story? Does it? Do they just say like, "Oh, they're falsely accusing him"? Oh, are they actually bringing up some good points that kind of made you think about the situation differently? Well, I thought that they were they were bringing up some good points, but Sully, they just didn't want to believe Sully, and he, they just thought they knew everything and didn't want to believe Sully until they figured out what actually happened. Interesting. That's, that's the thing is that I I want to go. I can't wait to go see this film because I want to see what points they're making. Because he saved so many many people's lives. Why are they accusing? Why are they accusing him of something? And that that's just interesting drama. That would be. I like those films that take in an, an event that a lot of us know about, but they show us a side that the behind it, almost like kind of the behind the scenes of stuff that you didn't know was going on while this was happening. It's directed by Clint Eastwood, as I mentioned before. Uh, how did you, what do you think about the direction style in this film? The, I think the director did a great job. I think 
he could have, well, not, it's not really the director's fault, but the editor. I didn't like, I didn't like how some parts of the movie, like, when they were showing the whole, um, plane, like, how it crashed and stuff, it stopped right before it crashed and went into a different scene for a little while, then went back to the crash, which I didn't really like, because I was getting so excited to see how it crashed, and then it just switched scenes. That's interesting. Uh, you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley, and today we just got done talking about Humpback Whales, my new blog about critics and the audience's opinion on films. And also we talked about the film Storks and Benjamin's press record experience. We're going to continue our conversation with Naeem about Sully. Now, you mentioned about the editing and how it could be... It was it was kind of awkward for it to be the cut from the actual landing to cutting to a different scene and cutting back. Now, this is for coming for somebody who haven't seen the film. But sometimes editors use... There's usually a purpose of what editors do because editors are the silent directors. They are the one who kind of orchestrate the pacing and the feeling of this film by taking all these scenes and putting it together into one motion picture. And sometimes they they use it for good reasons. Those quick cuts, I believe that's that's the term. But again, it's from from not seeing it, so I'm gonna have to see the check if if it is that quite quite that awkward. Now, what did you think about? The actual like, I want to. I don't. I don't like call it action, but it is. It is pretty much the fast-paced event that's going on, which is the the landing. How that's. How was that scene orchestrated? What do you think about that? I love the beginning of this movie because I like movies that have action in the beginning of the movie that gets you hooked. Like, for instance, Ride Along Two. There's a car chase right in the beginning, which I really love. And that gets you hooked into the movie. So they had um, some action in the beginning. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's some action in the beginning that got me hooked in. Yeah, films don't do, films used to do title, title cards and credits and everything in the beginning. But now it's just like, we're going to throw you in the action, which is pretty cool. There's some films where it's great to see them just like throw you into the action and just get you right into it and just get on with the film. So, what would you say about the music in this film? Because seeing movies without music is what we seen as something missing in it. So, what do you think of it? The music it, it fit in with like what was happening. For instance, when Sully was talking to his wife on the phone, and they were really sad. They had some sad music on that really went with the flow of how what they're saying so i thought the whoever decided to put the music in there did a great job the right placement of music in a film can really determine the scene and the emotional uh response for the audience so this one because it seemed like a film that would need some kind of music now what would you say about the cinematography in this film the cinematography well, at first, I thought that the plane crash was going to be like, I thought they were going to be filming on a green screen, but they actually, I saw behind the scene footage, they actually had a plane on the Hudson River filming people get out of it. It was crazy. I saw some footage. It was amazing. Now, see, I love the, I love green screen effects and uh, special effects. They've, it's been revolutionary in film, but... Just putting a plane in the Hudson River or wherever in a body of water, just so you can film a scene. That's it's just something real about that, which is fantastic. And I'm, are you sure it wasn't just curious? Are you sure it wasn't stock footage, or was it actually what they actually filmed? It was actually the footage I saw. It. Wow. Um, it was behind the scenes. Fantastic. Well, that's what we call dedication to your film and great production time. So, um, what would you say the age range for this film is, and how many stars would you give it? Um. That the age range would be nine nine to eighteen, and adults would also like this. And I would give it four out of five stars, only because it was an IMAX. And if you sit um, close to the huge, well, I was sitting not I was sitting a, like uh, eight rows away from the movie theater uh, of the screen. 
and it was really blurry at only the people who were a little farther back but the people who were closer to me was mu- it was much clearer but in the background it was blurry in the beginning but it got better in the middle and the end which i liked well, maybe the background was blurry because that's the way they wanted the director wanted to do it. You never know this kind of stuff, but understood. I'm glad you really enjoyed the film. Thank you very much, Naeem, for talking about the film. Thank you too. This film is in is out in the, is out in theaters uh, September 9th, So please go check it out. You've been listening to Kids vs. Coming Attractions. To check out our latest reviews on the latest DVD and movie releases, go check out our website, www.kidsfirst.org. Also, to check out the blogs from our jury. Um, as mentioned before on, on this radio show, there's blogs like my blog about the critics and audiences on films, but also there's many other great blogs out there done by uh, wonderful film critics. And uh, if you want to see more Kids First, go on our YouTube page as well, Kids, uh, say Kids First YouTube. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley, and this show is sponsored by Gumby's 60 Series Volume 2. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Now you know more about which movies are playing and can make an informed decision. Tune in again next week. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. <laughs>